0: Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is
1: also brought to you by Trina Solar. We're trying to create the Carfax for Solar, or what we call the Solarfax. If you think about it, you wouldn't buy a car just based on the mileage of the car. You probably walk around the car, you want to see maintenance records, you want to see how the car looks like on the outside and the inside. So similarly, we used to buy a lot of projects based on performance data only. And that layer of information... For field data, we had to collect very quickly on site. I realized like how important the layer of information was. And that's the problem that we're trying to tackle. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm
0: Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in, and welcome to our tribe. Today, we are going to tackle multiple problems, not the least of which is the business startup of fixing solar projects. And the two gentlemen to my left, your right, know a thing or three about really digging in and ascertaining how to optimize not just solar, but storage, and have a deep and broadscape understanding of how the solar industry, the battery storage industry took shape and will continue to. David Peñalva and James Nagel are joining us today on Suncast as the co founders of Helio Volta. It's good to see you guys.
1: Thank you for coming. Yeah, man. This- This is awesome. I'm glad we're
0: recording this. So am I. And uh, the sooner we get done with the interview, the sooner we get to climb. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We'll get into some of your lifelong passions in a moment. If you're new to Suncast, we, every week, dive in to the founders on the front lines of the clean energy transition. Developing products or services that are changing the way we generate, consume, transmit, and transmute electricity for the improvement of our lives. We've got more than 666 episodes now in the back catalog, and it is my true pleasure and desire to be able to help you harness the things that entrepreneurs like David and James have learned in the pattern matching of life, of business, and of entrepreneurship, so that you can approach your job and your career maybe with them maybe in an, a similar startup with equal fervor and passion but with fewer mistakes let's be honest if you like this kind of conversation then i hope you like david will dig into numerous episodes of our back catalog as we've featured hundreds of solar warriors as we as we call them climate champions you can find out more at mysuncast.com or whatever app you happen to be listening or watching on. We do not have the entire back catalog yet on YouTube. So if you're on YouTube, please go to mysuncast.com. I apologize in advance that the search functionality is lacking, as David has told me numerous times. Guys, I think that uh, one of the the aspects that stands out for me is uh, as entrepreneurs, you have to decide what to work on right so we can go all into your backstory and we will we'll talk a bit about how and why you got into the solar industry but you all met while working with another podcast uh, suncast friend andy clump over at cea both took departure from cea during the pandemic and while as many uh, of us were holed up in your house started mulling over ideas for what to do next. Could you walk me through a little bit? James, I'd love to hear your perspective first, since you're holding the microphone, on the early stages of conversation between you and David about what a business could look like, what a product might be worthy of your attention and time.
2: Yeah. So I think one of the really interesting things about working for a company like CEA is you have such an exposure to the market. You really understand the pain points that the market is seeing, not just one company or two companies, but really what's some of the things plaguing it. And so we, we played with a few different ideas of like maybe targeting energy storage or, um, really dialing in some energy modeling stuff. But, um, through a lot of root cause analyses, lawsuits, like this type of stuff, there was a big need for really dialing in the fieldwork and quality
0: on site and like the actual projects and jobs. Projects and so the construction of solar projects, large scale predominantly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, the products
2: are fundamentally safe when you build them correctly mm-hmm. with high quality and you maintain them really well. But we're pushed towards like really reducing those costs pretty significantly that ha- forces people to cut corners. Mm-hmm. And so we we found that there was a, a big inflection point where, you know, if you cut if you cut costs so much, those pennies saved turns into fortune lost. Yeah. Where the cost to actually remediate, the cost of lawsuits, the cost to your brand really take an incredible toll and is just not worth it. And yeah. so how do you meet that need while providing
0: a, a value to the industry um, mm-hmm. is what we really tried to tackle. Yeah. David You've been in the industry for maybe, I think, a decade longer than James and have multiple entrepreneurial uh, endeavors. Been at Edison, you've been at Silicon, you've seen the industry rise and in fall, you've seen software come and go. How, as you stepped away from this role, as James pointed, they gave you such a macro view on the market Do you think about distilling that decades of knowledge into a product that you could bring to market?
1: That is exactly how we thought about it. So if you think about what methods of leverage you have as a person, you can leverage your your time, you can leverage other people's time, or you can use software to leverage. And I think for us, when we were thinking, okay, how can we apply what we learn? The biggest leverage that we had was developing software because yeah. once you develop a tool once, it works for a lot of people. It's exponentially, you know, could exponentially be used by a lot of people. And that that was what kind of when we were thinking about ideas, like, okay, what, what is the good, what is the best way to leverage our knowledge? How can we help the industry to move forward? How can we have the biggest impact? And that was uh, through software.
0: Software. I love that you point out leverage as well. Naval Ravikant talks about the four areas of leverage, right? People, capital, software, and content. So today we're going to talk about two of those four pieces of leverage. Hopefully as uh, Helio Volta scales, you'll be able to leverage the third as well, people. Um, But with that software, you can get a lot more leverage. So you all were on Suncast almost a year and a half ago now right? And it was because you entered into the solar prize, the Made in America Solar Prize, and you won. We featured at a time that you won. I'd like to, before we dig into sort of the various veins that we could mine here, uh, I'd like to understand from the point of winning American Made Solar Prize to now, what as a company have you, do you feel like you've most grown through doing?
1: Yeah, so f- first of all, I wanna thank one person that actually encouraged us to apply to the American-made okay. talents. That was Paul Wormser. Oh, Paul, yes. He was, he, he is the one that kind of brought it up. He's like, hey, the deadline's coming up. You guys should apply. Yeah. What you're working on is kind of really cool. And, you know, we never even thought about it. It's like, okay, we, we applied. I think timing was also right because we were kind of already developing the software at the time that the uh, contest was going. And um, since then, it's been incredible. I think we got a lot of media attention on be, being recognized as what well, you're doing, being something cool that people actually are interested in. Yeah. Brought us a lot of, like, you know, open a lot of doors for conversations. And that translated into, you know, signing some contracts and kind of getting to work with more clients and, and so on. So it's been a very exciting year for sure. Yeah.
0: James, is there anything with regards to, access to the national labs or the mentorship through that program that for on the technical side really took the platform to a new level?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So after winning the prize, we had a $75,000 voucher that we could use with uh, national labs. And so it was kind of a tricky play because the national labs, if they were going to develop code for you, Well, then the national labs owned part Ah. of the code. So it was kind of this tricky thing. So we actually uh, uh, had a great opportunity there to actually do a pretty in depth cybersecurity. Uh, check on us. So, like Sandia National Labs, the nuclear security uh, group yeah. uh, from the IT, you know, uh, really did all these these tests on our on our software. Oh, how cool! Um,
0: yeah, it was it was. It's like the equivalent of a software bankability study.
2: Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and so it actually um, it helped us out a lot. Not only in uh, improving our, our software. Um, but also giving us more credibility, and so we were able to sign more contracts yep. and get through some of the, the onboarding there because we had gone through that. So that was really fantastic. It also opened us up to that whole scene, and so of of government grants and this type of stuff. And so, um, kind of like Paul encouraged encouraged us to apply to the American Made Prize. Um, somebody else was like, you know small business innovation research grants. Oh, yeah. Jump into that. Um, and so we did and we were awarded a, a DOE grant um, oh, for fantastic. that as well. I didn't yeah. know that. How much? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 200K to start. Okay. Um, so that's right, so phase, you're phase one. Phase one, yeah. exactly. And then phase two will will, uh, will be 1.1. 1. 1. Um, yep. And so, you know, we were able to hire somebody that we met through the American Made uh, Challenge. Okay. Uh, as an was, employee. As an employee. Yeah. How cool. Um, so yeah. Uh, shout, shout out. Who was that employee? Yeah. AJ Rossman, uh, nice. founder of Draker. Um,
0: yeah. I worked for him for a while. Incredible. Obviously. You hired AJ. I didn't know that. Yeah, Yeah. yeah. How does um, that feel? The founder of one of the <laughs> companies that you guys admire, right? Like yeah, AJ's, AJ's been awesome.
2: So yeah. just like kind of opening up that, uh, that network and like really leaning into it, getting into that mentorship too, um, was incredibly valuable. Yeah. And there's just, there's so much out there that you don't realize and you can just, that's ex- accessible to you.
0: I want to circle back around. There are doubtless folks who still don't understand why I'm talking with you and what we're going to talk about today. David, how do you explain in... Simple terms, the problem. James enunciated a bit in the beginning, but the problem that you set out to solve.
1: What we realized is that the industry was not sophisticated enough, and there was a layer of information that was, was getting lost yeah. uh, in the weights. And that was all the field work data. So just to give you an analogy that I, I like to, how I like to explain to my friends. Mm-hmm. We're trying to cre- create the Carfax for solar, mm-hmm. or what we call the solar facts. You think about it; you wouldn't buy a car just based on the mileage of the car, right. wouldn't? Like you, you probably walk around the car. You want to see, you know, man- maintenance records. You yeah. want to see, you know, how the car looks like on the outside, and the inside. Yeah. So similarly, you know, when I was working at San Edison, we used to buy a lot of projects, and that was a lot of based on performance data only. Right. Mm-hmm. And that layer of information for field data, we had to collect very quickly on site, mm-hmm. and then seeing. Later on in my career, seeing, uh, seeing a lot of the incidents out there um, with some thermal events and so on, I realized like how important the layer of information was. And that's the problem that we're trying to tackle. And let me even step back a little bit more. The problem goes beyond just, you know, that that aspect of just data, it actually... Is something that I'm very passionate about because it touches my career. I developed my professional career to the solar industry, right? Like right. that's the that's what I picked as yeah. an engineer. It's like, hey, I want to fight this fight, yep. and I I want to put it all. On when I see that there is an incident that can ca- cause a damage to property or personnel, on the reason for that. Is the lack of, the lack of information and data that has been collected on the background? It really bothers me, and the bad yeah. press of seeing a fire on in the news, like yep. it puts a bad press. People don't want to have solar in the roofs just because they, they get the sense that it's, you know, unsafe, and that's not true. It's a very safe technology. Of course, when you're growing an industry and we have a bunch of people jumping into the wagon. There's a lot of unqualifications and, you know, rushing through processes and lack of documentation, lack of process procedures, and not to blame it on people. I don't think people is the root cause of of this problem, but how we enable the people that work in the field to do the work more, you know?
0: Yeah. The processes themselves are are lacking. You know, James, one of the things that we talked about um, often in our conversations around trying to better understand the the makeup of what sort of how you guys came together is um, the early work that you did in EDF. I think it was your first kind of real big boy job, right? Uh, could you talk a bit about some of the lessons learned uh, taking that first real job at EDF and maybe characterize where in EDF you worked and, and how that came together, but sort of that attention to detail with a macroscope on the industry that that you were given there?
2: No, I r- really appreciated working at EDF. It was a great launch pad. It's called Nexco when I joined. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, getting that experience was fantastic. Working on, I was on the solar engineering team. So we would take it from Greenfield and bring it through um, into project, uh-huh. into project construction. Um, doing all the preliminary designs, all the energy modeling, and it had to be really dialed in. Yeah, um, And so it, it really. What do, you, what do you mean really dialed in? Yeah, like plus or one percent. 0.1%. Is like what you really needed to get down to, and uh-huh. like really, you know, because there's so much money on the line, right? right. And so, you know, point one percent change in the financial model moves the moves the bar uh, yep. pretty significantly. Mm-hmm. And so, each of the energy model inputs had to be defensible. Each of the decisions with the design had to be defensible. Yep. So, like,
0: so in really, your, in your 20s, you're learning to turn the knobs and levers to make sure that this the that the, the proforma. speaks to the actuals of a project before it's ever built
2: yeah no that's a great way to put it yeah yeah and so really dialing that in and then getting the full picture and working at that kind of developer seeing how that one energy model then affects the entire uh, uh project itself right and so um also not not just working on one individual aspect of that project, but seeing it through, right? Gives you that deep understanding of how a project is built. Yep. So I really, really appreciated that at at EDF.
0: Hey, if you're looking for a way to maximize the ROI for your next utility project, I would like to point you to SunGrow's new SG4400 modular inverter. This new innovative solution will reduce capital and operating expenses because it arrives already on a skid with a step-up transformer. It's built using four 1100kW modules so that if one of them fails, well, the other three keep powering right on through as the DC and AC protection are completely separate between the modules. You can learn more about this fantastic new product and more at mysuncast.com forward slash sungrow. Given that you had an opportunity, as David did, to work at a big company, like a macro level, and now at a startup, um, I wonder if there's, if you have a thought around how that macro look at the industry, both at EDF and SunEdison, even Silicon prior to that, and then at CEA, seeing the root cause problems that the industry was facing, how that helped you filter through the good versus maybe not so good ideas that you could have started and i mm-hmm. i can only imagine coming out of such an amazing organization as clean energy associates you had no lack of opportunity of folks say, asking you please consult with me please help me with this or that problems coming left and right at you that you could intellectually solve
2: right yeah and so with edf right you're you're serving like as an engineer, you have one client, you're, yeah. you're really going deep on that one. right? And with the CEA, yeah, you're a smaller team, mm-hmm. a little more tight knit, you get to know people like really uh, intimately, and then you have access to an entire industry. And yeah. so, you know, going to intersolar or RE plus or SPI at the time, yep. you know, with Andy walking the, you know, meeting everybody, right. It's, it's an incredible, uh, uh experience. And so Um, in those types of scenarios, you really get to understand and, you know, you're not getting the EDF depth, but you're getting a crazy breadth. Yeah. The pattern matching experience. You get a lot of pattern matching. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, what are people hiring me for? Mm -hmm. What are the pain points that they're seeing? What am I at? What's the value I'm actually adding? Mm -hmm. Um, and what's recurring? the yeah. pattern matching. Mm-hmm. And so that, that was incredibly valuable to say, you know, I could go and do a deep dive on sub hourly clipping losses and build a cool tool and license it. But is there a proper market for it? Is there a real pain point uh, in
0: the industry that I can uniquely solve? Yeah, maybe not. Mm-hmm. So as you two started to put your heads together, David, I'd love to hear what did you say no to?
1: oh i have a lot of big problem with shiny object uh, chasing so yeah. i uh a lot of ideas i had probably folders and folders of ideas over many many years um, uh-huh. um do you want to know like a specific one or do you want to like i'm
0: curious like what made it to the to the near finish line right if this is mario kart like what,
1: what I love I love electroluminescence technology. I think that's okay. really cool. I yeah. was interested on doing something related to that. I think it's just a very cool technology that is Not that widely used, and I thought that there was that was going to grow over time. Yeah, a big opportunity checking hotspots and things like that. Yeah, micro cracks and you know, defects and you know, stuff related to warranty claims. And so, okay, it's an interesting topic. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we explore other ideas with regards to software uh, for storage, Uh, a lot of different tools that were kind of very, very specific uh, built on top of uh, Yep. Because PVCs, everyone complains about it, but there's no alternative. Uh, or I mean, there you know, there's some players trying to make it as an alternative. But um, so those are some of the other ideas. But uh, you know, again, it's not for the lack of ideas. Yeah. yeah, it's always something that I'm kind of think that is a good idea that yeah. we can chase.
0: I asked the question because it's not often what we say yes to, but what we say no to that determines as entrepreneurs what gets to live or die. And you know, you mentioned the sort of shiny. Uh, object syndrome, I raise my hand as one who suffers from it, but I'd love to hear a little bit more around the way that you analyzed the market for a service that you knew you could bring or believed at least that you could create software around. We were laughing earlier that I'm getting paid to effectively make movies, and I have no movie making experience whatsoever and James said, Yeah, like me, I have no software making experience, but we get paid to build uh to build software, and that you know we are able to step into domains with less less relative experience because we have the deep core experience, right? Like I can carry a conversation about this topic quite well. And if I can find someone to manage the camera, like you can find someone to manage the code, then we can direct the product in the right area, right? How did you guys think about determining is there a real product need? What solutions exist today? Is the timing right for the solution we believe we can bring to market? How do you how did you unpack
1: that? We did. I mean, a very rational, MVP style type of approach to each of the ideas. So we analyze the market, you know, market size, yep. trends. We have an inside uh, knowledge about the industry, so we right. we kind of know uh, within the areas of ex- expertise there are some ideas that we had more expertise on, uh-huh. and we also flirt with a lot of different tools that were out there right so for field work we just tried a bunch of them you know when we were at ca before then when i was at San edison we had a lot of trouble i remember using a random app for doing audits on that that was a real problem um that we were facing how scalable was that is there is this a real market opportunity we had to interview a ton of people i mean we talked to a lot of uh, companies we talked uh, to a lot of field technicians we uh, we were trying to understand are are those real pains are they using software for these so two questions how did you go about conducting the
0: interview and how did you create the list of who you would interview
1: so when we looked at the landscape of opportunity, we were thinking, okay, do we want to get into residential? Do we want to tackle the problem for from the residential perspective, the utility scale or the CNI resi- um, space? Right. Broke down in different segments. So we decided utility and CNI is probably the best yeah. um, to start with. And then, then we looked at um, different options. But the the bottom line is was the field technician, yeah. field technician, because then you have the the segment of types of companies. Yeah. You can now talk to companies that are doing, you know, uh, O&M um, or companies that are doing EPC or right. companies that are doing our asset owners or right. companies that are doing, you know- Who's the real buyer. Yeah, yeah thir- third party uh, services. We realized that, you know, third parties who were coming from a third party perspective. Mm. There were not that many companies. I mean, right. there are maybe, you know, 20 in the US. Mm-hmm. Like, if you build a software for 20 companies, this is not <laughs> going to work. <laughs> right? Yeah. So... Even if your idea is good, you really need to think about a, a, the broader, bigger mar- market. So that was EPC, EPCs or ONMs. So we talk about to a lot of uh, different field technicians that were doing construction and understanding. Do, do you guys use any tools? How do you, do, do you guys, how do you guys do QA, QC? Right. What what do you use? Do you use Excel? Do you use uh, a specific software? And then um, what it, what is working and what what was not working? A lot of technicians gave us a lot of feedback on the tools they were using they yeah. w- were being forced to use by the companies, but they were not very happy about. Yeah. So understanding what were the pain points from those users was right. key, and that, that took us took us a while. And then you know you go build the MVP. And this is a classic stuff. Like really build something that it, you it's just barely holding. It really doesn't work great. Yeah. You know, you can show it to people. It kind of works fine. Then it crashes through the demo, but but that's the way you get started. And then you get feedback. It's like, oh, that's cool. And people start giving you really good feedback. It's like, okay, then I guess we won't build, like we had a bunch of ideas in, with regards to features. Yeah. And we just, you need to kind of decide what you want to do and really focus on solving yeah. solving one problem first. And for us, the first problem that we tackle was how can you automate the work that they do in the field to automate the reporting? I yeah. think that was the first step. Reporting and what are they reporting on? Re- yeah, what are they reporting on? You know, the, the, the open question. Task. What, what is it that? Yeah, they're yeah. Reporting? So they're reporting on uh, if you're an OEM company, you are doing uh, preventive maintenance work. Uh-huh. You have to give some type of report, written report, to someone to your the company that hired you to do yeah. that work that says yep. what you did and how you. So they go collect like data. The, they they the go space.
0: back to the job trailer or the hotel, or uh, later, yeah. or later, or later. Later in the day, yep. you
1: typically they will be sitting in the car, writing an email, it's an email form, it's kind of not really great, it's not very professional. So how can you automate that process to make something that is professional, that doesn't really take a lot of time from their side, sure. and it's very intuitive and they wanna use. Because yep. field technicians, they just are very picky of what they use in the field. It, it really is harsh out, out there. Yeah. You're in the fields, you know, is it's rough conditions. You could have picked anyone to be your partner. What does uh, a very easy question what <laughs> very, very easy <laughs> no. question
0: what not why did you pick James what does James do better than you or virtually anyone else you could have picked?
1: you know picking a partner is like getting married for sure, <laughs> so if you I could answer the same question about my wife, I think James brings something to the table uh that is incredible he's emotionally stable yeah i'm I'm not <laughs> so um, I, need, I need a partner like James. He, He's he's just constant, like really steady, steady work. He's very smart yeah. and he's a good person. Yeah. That's really, uh, you know, he checked all the boxes. Like, okay, well, I don't know what I'm going to do, but you're, you know, whatever, we'll figure it out.
0: Yeah. Helps that he was your first hire at CEA as well. right? Yeah. We kind ma- of got how many years to work together? Uh,
1: almost six and 20. Yeah.
0: Six years. All right. James. Same question. Same question. <laughs> you could have gone to work anywhere. Yeah. You could have partnered with anybody. You didn't have to take this bozo along with you.
2: Yeah. No, I didn't. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, uh, it's just really complimentary, uh, uh, personalities. Yeah. There's, uh, uh, David's a nuclear reactor. David has an infinite depth of energy to him. <laughs> um, That is hard to find. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that kind of drive is, is rare Mm -hmm. and, you know, paired with, uh, you know, my, you know, more constant, uh, sensibilities. Um, yeah, it works really well. I would say that you, you also have a constant, but it's like energy drive of like, Mm -hmm. David, you haven't slept in a while, how are you still, (laughs) you know, one of these, So, Um, but also obviously like really sharp. and.
0: So mid pandemic, you're in Seattle, he's down here in Southern California. You guys are on the phone more than once a day, I imagine. How did you start to rationalize, not just the concept, but who does what? What skill sets are necessary? Who's going to lean into one side versus the other?
2: Yeah, really good, really good question. And initially we didn't really have a good uh, handle on that. Yeah. Um, you know, is everybody does everything. Mm. Um, when it was just the two of us and we had a whole company to run, yeah. you know, okay, we have a task list. Let's just divide and
0: conquer. Uh-huh. Um, even still on that task list, you're choosing based on parameters who thinks you can get it done faster, which is more aligned with your set. Right. Right. Where did you start to see tasks falling into a sense of order?
2: Yeah, and that's it, kind of where we've landed now. Mm. So you can kind of see the the seed of that yeah. earlier on, mm-hmm. um, in terms of you know just kind of a, a sale and a product, uh-huh. um, and that's kind of where we where we've landed yeah. pretty well. So you're more on the commercial side of the product oh i guess i did my inflections the yeah, wrong you, way yeah. uh product and
0: sales okay yeah. <laughs> there you go I was, I was i was fascinated i was like wow I, I sort of had david pegged as the as the commercialization yeah, yeah, side yeah. of the business um mm-hmm. and and what makes you the right fit for the product of the of sort of bringing this product to life
2: yeah i think that just understanding the the core need just Uh that empathy with the end user Mm -hmm. and like understanding because i have some coding in my background and have a a general sense of like how should this be structured and how do we get to here from here to there Mm -hmm. and so that that's been pretty helpful and like really listening to those end users and like thinking about how how do we
0: uh meet that need we've talked a bit about process and in fact the core product of helio village is solar grade which Builds on process and really aims to automate and reduce error in the field in reporting, so that these assets can be graded, they can be qualified. And I was going to get into it um, earlier, but you mentioned with um, with Sun Edison, right? You were acquiring projects that, had they had a Carfax, you would have known you were getting something closer to a lemon than what was sold to you, right? So I think it's really interesting this concept is something that uh, exists in other markets from a commercialization perspective uh, and you know you introduced me to both a lot of books and podcasts how did you start to think about building analogies that the marketplace would understand around a product that didn't exist yet and needed to
1: be sold it is still a learning curve yeah. for me. I, you know, I have an engineering background and I like to be, I always flirt, flirt, flirt with sales yep. and business development, but I'm still learning on, um, SAS sales, like software sales is yeah. very difficult and yeah. very different to, to other types of, of sales. So I've been reading a lot and kind of learn, just doing a huge learning curve mm-hmm. on how, how to actually sell, how, to, how do you prove value um, yeah. to clients? Yeah. Did you all go through
0: exercises around identifying product market fit and also in that same vein, who in your overarching ecosystem helped you really refine your thinking around product market fit?
1: Yeah, we had a few mentors, like, you know, friends... Friends and friends of friends that you ask for advice and they all of a sudden they're super excited and and to help you. Um, so there are a few people that helped. Uh, I have a good relationship with Paul Gran as well, mm. with you know Helioscope, and I you know will call him and ask him for advice and kind of tell him a little bit more about what we're working on and he will give me his like his perspective and that has been extremely helpful. Yep. Um, also Alejo, Alejo Lopez. Alejo, Next, yeah. Yeah, with Next, Next Tracker. Next Tracker. Um, they, he's, he lives down the street. He's a really good friend of mine. I worked with him back in the day at Silicon and still really well connected and, yep. and you know, just people helping you out and really asking you the tough questions to understand the, are, do you have product market fit? Are you there on, you know, after reading a lot of books, um, You know, I like the analogy of the big stone that you're pushing up the hill. That's how it feels when you're working on a startup. Mm -hmm. Like every day it's like, okay, is this working? Is this really worth it? Like, are we getting traction? What's going on? Like you might get a little bit of traction, but you really don't know. And then you go go on a low for a little while and it's like, doesn't really feel great. And all of a sudden kind of the boulder starts moving forward and like, "Oh, oh, hold on, hold on, let me stop it. We're not ready for this. We're not ready. So that's, that's, that's where I kind of want to give the uh, you know the analogy of public market fit. I feel like you feel that it's like okay, now we're is th- this is the moment that we're looking for. Now it's happening. Like we, we're getting feedback. People are you know seeing this software being a useful tool for them. It's adding value to them. So
0: James, do you remember the first time you felt like you'd feel fi- you'd figured out what product market fit looked like for Solar Grade? Yeah,
2: I mean it was it was just that it was just you know wow. I didn't realize we were here and we need
0: to be more ready
2: than we are right now.
0: Uh-huh. Um but what were so, some of the characteristics from either conversations with customers or, you know, data on your dashboard that suggested, oh, product market fit looks like this?
2: Yeah. And I think, yeah. So one of the books that uh, we both read that was really helpful was The Mom Test. The um, Mom Test. The Mom Test. Okay. Are you
0: familiar with this? No. Highly recommend. Does it have to do with... Uh, Quick read. Is it Does it have to do with baked goods? Ah. Uh, I wish. Okay. Um, okay.
2: No, the premise is, uh, how do you tell if you have a good product when everybody's lying to you? This isn't a if joke. If you make... No. Sounds like a setup for a joke. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I've got plenty of right. jokes, but this how, is... Yeah, yeah. not a joke. Yeah. How do you yeah. tell... If you, have a good, uh, if you have a good product when everybody's lying to you. So you, you make an app, you show it to your mom. She's yeah. going to tell you, I love it. You did oh, yeah. a
0: great job with this. Of course. This.
2: You go out, you quit your job, you do all this stuff, and like you have a terrible product. It's called the mom test.
0: This it's part. called the mom okay, test. Okay, I'm
2: going to get this. It's fantastic. It's like 80 pages. Everybody
0: it's, on the Suncast team, go get the book.
2: <laughs> it's, it's yeah, well worth it. All right. Um, but right, and you'll probably see some of these themes where unless somebody's committing time, their reputation, or actual money, then. There's no market signal. Yeah. And so once, you know, because a lot of people are like, I've been looking for this tool forever. I'm I'm in. Let's go. Let's go. Right, Um,
0: And especially when the threshold is relatively low where software is, right? The threshold for saying yes and taking a trial is relatively low. And they may just not give you feedback. They could just keep on doing business as usual. Okay.
2: Right. And so then when we when we really had those market signals
0: mm-hmm. um where
2: somebody was telling their CEO we need this tool, right. Putting their reputation up there. Okay. Yes. When they're actually committing to contracts and like, you know, those contracts are growing. They're starting with 10 users. They're bumping it up to twenty, right? 30. Mm-hmm. That's the the actual market signal where you're like, okay, mm. now this this is actually meaningful. Yeah. Mm.
0: David, where did you grow
1: up? Grew up in spain valencia
0: valencia yeah valencia is a is the the beautiful the city foot, the football team that i cheer yeah, for the when, and the when i, when I cheer for when i cheer for the european football I really teams, I, I, I cheer for valencia mainly because when i went to uh to study it in Madrid in 2001, the Valencia team was very good.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> we got to go that far back. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry to say. <laughs> I'm, yeah, yeah, not very into soccer, but yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah.
0: So it, what most um, of us in this sort of OGs in the industry know that maybe some of our viewers don't is Valencia and Spain in general, but Valencia as a part of Spain is kind of, the, I would say like the heartbeat of... When there was a really thriving solar market, it was Valencia. It was like everything circ- circled around that p- that part of Spain. If not directly in Valencia, then that whole like region. S-
1: still to this day, yeah. uh, we have power electronics, the uh, largest companies. They in the are, area. I mean, uh, very close to my hometown. Yeah, yeah, it, it, you're right. Uh, so we had tersa BP Solar, IsoPhoton on silicon back in the day in a major like when you, when Spain was a big deal in yeah, solar yeah. right after you know Germany yeah. um on the two of the three largest companies were, were in Valencia and that's how I got into solar yeah. you know working for one of these manufacturers What were you doing before silicon Before silicon I worked for a small installation company but I think more interesting to that is is that I actually did my final thesis uh, when I was in college about how to manufacture solar models from ultra pure silicon. That's really what got me into solar. Why Why were you studying? I thought it was, I thought that it was very interesting. Um, what were you studying at the time? You were getting was, a master's in I was doing industrial, industrial engineering, uh-huh. which is a master's degree. Uh-huh. And uh, at the time I was kind of thinking, so I did the specialization of construction. Yeah. Um. It was kind of booming construction, but I really like, got super excited the last year in renewables. And that's when my first idea was, I wanna set up a company to do like a a solar company. And I went to the Institute of Ideas, which is the Entrepreneurship uh, Institute within the university. And they help you to build a business plan. And that summer I decided to kind of work for a company just to try to see how it w- like just to learn about you know solar as much as I could that yeah. summer. What? Um,
0: wait, what time frame? What year is this? Oh, I don't know. Forgot. Oh, three, oh, four? four. Yeah, it's been a while. Um, very bad. <laughs> I'm gonna. Yeah. I'm to uh, yeah, LinkedIn. Just, but while you, while you keep telling.
1: Yeah. So I, I at that time I decided to kind of go that route on getting to um you know, working on this th- thesis on learning a lot about the manufacturing process. And that's what got me into silicon uh, right after that.
0: Yeah, because the Spain boom was kind of 03 to 2010, well, oh, nine, right? Oh, oh, 09. Oh, nine 10, yeah.
1: yeah. Okay. 20, 2010,
0: yeah. Yeah, right around there. That's uh, I remember uh, when everyone... like the power light folks were in germany and then spain and then back in the u.s (laughs) It's like wow that was oh you're back already and it was about the time i was going into latin america and the very year that i went into latin america it was just like flooded with all the spaniards that
1: the spaniards there was no work yeah there was
0: no work in in spain now they're all back
1: they're all back and now it's kind of Booming and busting Me. again. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, and, yep. So there, there, yeah, there, there will be, there will invariably be out, be back out into the market. You studied engineering as an undergrad. Did you always think that you were going to be uh, an engineer? Were you a tinkerer as a kid?
1: I wanted to be a mechanic.
0: A mechanic. Yeah, car oh, mechanic. Something else you guys haven't common. Yeah,
1: I did a lot of, you know, just working on my car and motorbike when i was growing up and i was good at studying so when i asked someone it's like hey what should i study this told me engineering is kind of a next level to a mechanic so uh, i got very disappointed after five years in, in engineering because the final you know i think when i was ending the degree that's the first time that we went to the lab and actually opened an engine yeah and i'm like Guys, I've been doing this since I was fourteen. Or, or you guys talking about? No one really understood anything about the real engine, so that, that kind of made me not to lean towards, you know, yeah, being like getting on on the more of the engines and mechanical engineering side yeah. of things.
0: Okay, um, James, I have to, I have to wonder when your parents found out that their once NASA intern was gonna be moving to an off grid village in the middle of nowhere. What was what was the message like? What was that phone call like?
2: Yeah. No, it was it was pretty supportive. Um <laughs> they're pretty <laughs> Yeah, get out of here, right? No. Um no, the, the 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 village had been in our kind of uh, our radar for a long time. Okay. um, it's a it's a wilderness retreat center. Yeah. um, and college professors will go teach there okay. on any number of things: yeah. theology, philosophy, climate yeah. change, music theory, um, over the summers, and that's what attracts people. And it's this old copper mining town, yeah. uh, that's run fully on hydro, mm-hmm. um, and they uh, have all their own
0: water. And that's amazing. And and you were the mechanic.
2: I was a mechanic, yeah. yeah. And so actually similar to David, uh, you know, he grew up tinkering and then went to school for it. Yeah. Kind of went to school for it and, and then started Got tinkering. to tinker. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, it was a fantastic uh, experience there. Okay. You're living off the grid or, you know, it has its own microgrid. So you really under- start to understand yeah. power dynamics right there at a, a pretty intimate level, right? right? So like somebody that's- Is it in of River
0: Hydro? I guess.
2: Um, no, it's a, it's a, they have a gravity. Dip. Okay. Yeah. Um, but we're trying to build another one. So yeah. that's, a, another, another story, yeah. but, um, yeah. And so, uh, just getting my hands dirty was extremely valuable and would yeah. be valuable, uh, in the future as, mm-hmm. you know, I was fixing all these bulldozers and also running them. And so when yeah. you get to project sites and you're talking to, um, folks that are running that you're not just some engineer, um, who doesn't have any, uh, dirt under their fingernails.
0: In a world where lots of solar technology providers seem to blend together and have little differentiation, it truly is necessary that you are able to dig deeper, get more resources and tools, and have more breadth of opportunity to learn and share with your core partners. Trina Solar is leaning in to the many requests for the Trina Hub, The new global partner portal dedicated to giving partner training courses and certifications, as well as a full asset library of pre-built and co-branded marketing resources for channel support. I'd like to encourage you to try Trina Hub for yourself. See how it helps grow your solar business and develop or enhance your digital marketing ecosystem. Learn more and sign up today at mysuncast.com forward slash Trina. Hey, pardon the interruption, but I wanted to just let you know how much of an impact you have on Suncast. Yeah, you, thank you for clicking play. Without you, this show is just me shouting into the void. But there's still people who don't even know about Suncast. I know I can hardly believe it myself, <laughs> but that's where you can help me yet again. There's a simple way that you can show. Some love and help others discover the show. If you cruise over to www.ratethispodcast.com forward slash suncast, I'd love it if you would leave a five-star rating and enthusiastic review. That's possibly the single kindest thing that you could do for me today. So if the show has helped, inspired, or even entertained you at all, I'd love it if you would head over to ratethispodcast.com forward slash Suncast. And give me a virtual two thumbs up. All right, back to today's episode. I can see for you, James, a through line of engineering, but even when we talked uh, the other day about your getting into EDF, you didn't really want to be on the solar side of the business. And I thought that was really funny because you went into a an Nexco and like EDF is this huge wind company and they kind of, stuck you in the solar team I'm wondering when was your first actual exposure to solar was it before EDF
2: yeah so it would have been with uh, engineers Without Borders mm. uh, in in Kenya um, working on um, some off-grid, uh, projects there, uh, providing water for, for a, a village out yeah. there. Okay. Um, and so that, that really got me into, um, appropriate technologies. We were building, uh, solar farms there. We were building play pumps, which are merry-go-rounds yeah. where kids will play on it and we'll pump water oh, for cool. a village. Yeah. Um, so that, that kind of appropriate technology and just being, using your creativity in a practical sense right. to do good. Mm. And so that, Altruism um, kind of carried forward into engineering as well. Of right. like how can my effect with the engineering work that I do mm-hmm. be a positive
0: force for environmental stewardship? Has environmental stewardship always been something that called to you as a part of your profession and how how so how was it integrated into your family unit as a kid? Any time
2: I could spend outside was a, a time time well
0: spent yeah um
2: in fact when i when i started in college i started as a civil engineer because i thought you could spend more time outside oh wow it wasn't actually yeah. a good fit for me mechanicals a way better fit <laughs> yeah. but um yeah it was just so integral just like being yeah, outside yeah. just really felt
0: um right to yeah are, were you raised in the pacific northwest
2: i was raised on the east coast no way. um yeah yeah i was born in connecticut and we grew up in new york okay um and small ke- family, big family, uh, older brother. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, both parents. Okay, um, so yeah, pretty small and family uh, of entrepreneurs, family of engineers, family of teachers, yeah. teachers. Okay. Um, yeah. so my mom's a fantastic teacher and yeah. incredibly t- creative. Um, and my dad has a, a long, uh, he's a teacher now, but he was a, uh, a business, uh, uh, Person, person, uh, for a long time, uh, worked for international paper, kind of these big corporates. Yeah. But then he also started his own brewery for a few years, which is really cool. So it was kind of cool mm. to see that and say, "Yeah, it didn't work out, but that was that was a really cool thing yeah. to like yeah, take." It takes courage. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it that that was exciting from like a risk taking
0: perspective, yeah. right there. Was was your old man proud of you for stepping out on your own, start a business? Yep,
2: yeah, yeah. And each of these different like steps. Um, he was really supportive. He yeah. would say, like, it's not something I would have done. Yeah. You know, go to work as a mechanic right out of college yeah. or go leave an awesome job at EDF to go be a dirtbag and through hike the PCT, <laughs> right? That,
0: that's how you characterize it. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> what, well, I mean, while we're on it, what... um what got into your, your mind as a 20-something to leave an awesome job and go for seven months as a dirtbag walking the trails of the Pacific Coast Trail?
2: Yeah, no, um, you know, it kind of always been in the back of my head. Yeah, um, I'd gotten lost hiking in the Northwest at one point, stumbled no on the PCT, and I was like, I found somebody there. Yeah. I was like, man, I'm super lost. Can I look at a map with you? And he's like, Yeah, you're not where you think you are. Oh, yeah. You need to turn around and go back. But he was a PCT through hiker. Yeah. So it kind of got in the back of my head for okay. a bucket list thing to do. And so at EDF, I was like, I, I have the ability right now and mm-hmm. I don't have a lot of the strings attached. Yeah. And so I just kind of saw that opportunity mm. and just kind of jumped at it. Did you solve
0: for I need to work X more days before I can go hike?
2: A little bit. Yeah. I mean, it was a little bit tied to a bonus and like my, my, it's not a job that you're going to give a two weeks notice and jump, no. you know? So, you know, <laughs> kind of waiting for the bonus, but I didn't, I kept getting delayed, delayed and my boss was super cool about it. And yeah. I was like, Hey, I'm going to do this thing. I don't want to leave you in a lurch. Yeah. Um, And they were, they were really good about honoring that. And that, yeah. that carried me through, uh, that year, That's amazing. you know, cause you can, Once you pare down pretty significantly, it's not that hard to survive Mm. in this country. And so, like, you can live off of very little.
0: Any Before I jump to Debbie, any particular story from the uh, Pacific Coast Trail that stands out to you? It's like a lifetime memory you'll teach your children.
2: Yeah, I think that, yeah, the Pacific Crest Trail really taught me that, you know, you're carrying more than you need. And then also, you are what you eat but I kind of extended that to you are what you consume yeah, or what so, you listen to or what you listen. Exactly that. No, exactly that. And so you are the conversations that you have. Yeah. You are the people that you surround mm. yourself with. You are the food that you eat also, yeah. you know? Um,
0: and so, you know, there's a million different. You lessons. carry more than you need. Yeah, That's a deep one. Oh uh, yeah. I mean, there's very, it's a very physical reality. But that's very metaphysical as well, huh? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And, you know, every ounce counts, all that type of stuff. You know, you drop your extra shirt because yeah. it's an extra thing that's yeah. just going to get dirty anyway. But then, yeah, you're just constantly, what, what are you holding with you?
0: Yeah. In this marriage that you all have in business, um, I enjoy seeing how uh, how aligned you are in your extracurricular activities too, right? Your love of outdoors, your climbing. Um uh, just all the ways that I see the similarities of how you grew up, how you think about um, your endeavors. Um, what about you, David? Any uh, tangents or dead ends or just uh, sort of work experiences that upon reflection actually were additive, but maybe in the moment you thought were a wrong choice?
1: The one that really shaped me that I always go back to it's like where why i'm here hmm. and why i had all these opportunities is i grew up in um you know it's, it's difficult to classify yourself middle class it's easy to say middle class but it's yeah you know it really doesn't have a, a great definition uh, definitely less opportunities than others that i was surrounded with sure uh, i didn't have the opportunity to do erasmus which is what everyone does in Europe to learn another language. Yeah. You're, in, you're in Europe, you have to, you need to speak a, a bunch of different can you languages. Can explain
0: Erasmus for folks that don't, know, don't uh,
1: know? Yeah, so Erasmus is a program where you have the option to go abroad for a year, yep. uh, usually within Europe on, yep. you just spend a year there and they, they, you know, you can study there for a year and, and that counts for your degree yeah. as a full year. So that's a great experience, but the reality is that the program only subsidizes you with a little bit of money. Right. And you have to have support. Yeah. So there's some people that will go abroad and they have their family paying for part of the Erasmus. I didn't have that option, and I didn't want to kind of go and just work three jobs while right. studying, like make, yeah. making a miserable type of uh, situation. Yeah. So I thought, okay, I'll do my degree here, but uh, the the problem is that I I didn't know how to like m- I came from you know fairly normal middle like school and high school like no very good english when i was studying so my english really sucked like it was really bad to the point that i was like i need to learn english so i finished i finished college and with my degree in my pocket i i went to the uk everyone everyone from my you know university was working on a bunch of different jobs everyone was kind of making a ton of money yeah and i was just you know washing dishes as a kitchen porter in bristol wow. for i think i was there almost for 6 months couldn't even talk to anyone it was yeah. it was rough miserable you, you know what how it feels it feels that you are it's incredible like what not knowing a language will do to you because even though i i i, I thought about myself as someone kind of a smart with education i couldn't communicate and that I was just watching this, is thinking, what am I doing here? I was painting single line diagrams about solar stuff that I was wow. wanted to work on. Yeah, and that you won't believe it that that triggered everything because when I went back to Spain and I got the job at Silicon, I was the only one uh, in that you know at that time that I was working during the summer. That knew a little bit of English to, come to the U.S. Yeah, so that really is like, oh, okay, you, you. I mean, I didn't speak very good English, yeah. uh, but uh, that gave me the opportunity to come to the U.S. Here,
0: yeah, for the first time. Wow, I don't see uh, dishwasher on LinkedIn. Yeah, it is
1: not. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's fascinating. So. The the misery of the six months in the UK gave you the opportunity. It opened the door for you eventually uh, because you had chosen experience that was both uncomfortable and different enough that it carved uh, a unique opportunity, a u- unique skill out for you. Yeah. Um, I find that very few, certainly very few in the younger uh, part of life put themselves in situations that force them to be uncomfortable, Right.
1: And I love that stuff, yeah. I, that's, I seek that all I know time. you do, yeah. That's what I did, I was, you know, rock climbing. Yeah. And, you, know, I, you know, something that you might not know is that I paraglide as well, I, I got my pilot's license. Uh, wow. I used to paraglide, I, I'm not paragliding anymore, but I used to as well. What about climbing speaks to you as an entrepreneur? Climbing is a problem solving game, it's awesome. It's like it makes you focus on one thing, and you're just right in the moment, leaving the moment to the extreme. there's nothing yeah. like the fear of falling, falling and, and dying yeah. honestly that's really yeah. there's nothing like it yeah i'm I'm hooked to it i guess yeah. i don't think I would change that
0: James, is there a sport that you engage in?
2: yeah, I'm very seasonal, so i'm <clears throat> I'm up in Seattle, right? yeah um and so in the in the in the summers, obviously there's hiking. Um and just getting out there. Um I do a lot of kayaking as well, just on the on the sea right there. But um yeah, in the winter, uh, I do a lot of split boarding. Um split boarding, will you explain what that is for folks that don't know? Absolutely. Yeah. So um I'm too cheap cheap for a, a lift ticket. Yeah. So um what you do, uh are you familiar with alpine touring? Yep. So you put uh, skins on the underside of your skis, and those skins are kind of these fiberglass hairs that are pointed one way, and so you can move uh, up the mountain, but it holds you from sliding back. Right. So those are skins. Yep. Um, and that's you know typically how you would climb yeah. a mountain that way. Sure. Um, I'm still bad at skiing, so uh, but I'm a pretty good snowboarder. Yeah. So splitboarding is exactly that: the alpine touring up. Yep. You take the bindings off, clip the skis together, form
0: a snowboard, and then Got it. ride down. It's basically a snowboard that splits into skis. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, Fascinating.
2: Yeah, and so just kind of like the gadgetry around that, and like really dialing in your setup. Um, and like knowing it really well mm-hmm. kind of harkens back to kind of you know zen and motor zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance yep. of just like really uh being in tune with your gear and like being present in the moment like david was saying yeah just like really
0: dialing in being focused and challenging yourself at the mm. same time how have you thought about now as entrepreneurs stepping away from a company where uh, actually, let's talk about the culture of CEA because I want to go into culture setting. One of the things that uh, everybody who knows Andy and CEA knows is that CEA has become wildly successful, sold to Intertech, um, built a big business, was one of the early visionaries to leverage location and insight into what, sort of where the industry was going to capitalize on quality assurance, right? But Andy also invested heavily in um coaching invested heavily in the team and was very specific and explicit about culture can you talk about the process that you guys have gone through and maybe there were some things that you brought some elements from sort of experiencing other companies but the process that you've gone through of thinking deeply about the culture you want in this company that has been your baby and that has been small and you're now starting to hire people that you admire and you're getting contracts from companies that you admire and you want folks to be able to speak about your company in a certain way, to interact with your company in a certain way. You want your employees to talk about what you do in a specific way. I'd love to hear your thoughts on what culture means and how you go about setting culture inside that company.
1: Yeah. So we had the opportunity to be very close to Andy. That was a, you know, amazing, amazing experience. On seeing that change, yeah. I was part of the early CA times and <laughs> the Angry so Andy. I, times. I I know the Angry Andy as well, <laughs> but I, I I saw the transformation and it yeah. was amazing. I was part of the room, like sitting there and kind of putting post its on the wall. Yeah. how we came up with the hmm. the values at CA. Right. that was that made f- everyone feel part of it. It right, was not yeah. Andy. It yeah. was everyone in the yeah, room. Everyone. everyone, everyone coming it up was with it. Yeah. And that I saw what that did for CA, and uh, you know, and in general, like it was a great experience. And we we took a lot of lessons learned from that. Yeah. Culture is key. You want to be surrounded with people you you like. I mean, we make a priority. We both enjoy the others. Yeah. Right. For us, it's extremely important that you care about nature. You right. care about you know being outside, and, yeah. and you you f- you kind of work on something that is meaningful to you. Mm-hmm. So culture is something that we value a lot and we we take it into consideration. It's part of the process for interviewing and kind of, you know, hiring process. Yeah. Yeah.
0: James, do you have a sense of uh, memorization of the values of the company? Is that a level that you guys have instituted this cultural ideal?
2: Mm. Yeah, at Helio Volta. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so...
2: No, I want you to tell me the, the C V A value. I mean, not...
0: I mean, probably, probably could, so, right? Yeah.
2: yeah. Um not, to That level, but we did. Um, it was really important that we put the ideas down on paper, yeah. So, in the employee handbook, it's four pages long and it's a fun document, yeah. You're actually defining what our culture is, yeah. Why does Helio Volta exist? How does Helio
0: Volta exist?
2: And so, we really we've talked about a lot of these already, yeah.
0: Can you tell me why does Helio Volta exist?
2: Yeah, to Ensure that the, I feel like I'm you are. like the <laughs> CEA uh, grilled right now, but no, Helio voltage exists to ensure the reliability of renewable energy assets yep. and that they fulfill their promise for future generations. How does Helio HelioVolta exist? How does Helio voltage exist is by being really mindful and working with all of our clients, um, taking a, a really constructive approach and never... Dictating issues, but yeah. always having a conversation, so that as conflicts arise, as they will, you're coming at it from a, a point of empathy, of like wanting to get to a common ground that's profitable for everyone. Yeah, we talk a lot about conflict management yeah. and really defining and understanding the difference between interests and positions. And a lot of people have a lot of different interests that they want. You know, an EPC might need to hit this cost hurdle. They might need to hit this thing. Whereas the, the owner, it needs quality. They need to hit this price and mm-hmm. all this stuff. Um, and they might have slightly different positions, but they can align on those issues. And so um, working with teams um, is really important yeah. at our core. And so fundamentally, we're also hiring people and defining that. You know, When we go to a project site and we find deficiencies, we're not fix you know, we're not asking people to say to fix it because I told you so right it's we need to correct this because x y and z and yeah. that's how we align on the same interest of a reliable project
0: yeah David, if you stripped everything out to one core value, what do you think that would be for helio Volta?
1: I think proactivity like I think being very proactive on um communicative with with our clients I think that's the one of the ones ones.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I know that you both value fun. You mentioned fun being part of a four page culture document. Um, how do you ensure as your team continues to grow that it is a culture of fun where fun is actually something that's embodied in it?
1: Yeah. I think keeping things flexible, understanding people's lives. Like, you know, you're, we're going to spend a lot of time together uh, at work. Uh, you really need to kind of care a little bit more and really work with everyone and doing fun activities. Like, you know, just, whole hands meeting i think i i learned that from cs as well it's like it's that's vital to build a culture it's like it's it's great to see each other in person hang out and do you know fun stuff but again always with the foundation that we have similar you know values right you have to have the values um to really kind of build upon them
0: i know you worked just the two of you with some contractors for a long time and that's the that's the nature of so many entrepreneurial ventures today Um, I would say undercapitalized and overworked entrepreneurs that fear uh, or like in some cases and I would say in my case like fear the idea of going out and trying to raise money around a business that you know can get to the point that it can fund itself right I'd love to hear you guys just give commentary around the journey of getting to revenue positive position and the points along the way where you realized that you could you either needed to afford to hire someone or you could afford to hire someone and how you made those those team addition choices, right? So getting to revenue is one stage and then hiring people around that revenue is another stage.
1: Yeah. We have been doing from the beginning, we were very mindful about that. So we put ourselves to work. Mm-hmm just to do random stuff, we did completely random stuff. So just consulting, to be able, just sort of consulting, but yeah, everything. Like yeah. you know, you could ask me for whatever. On yeah, sure, yeah, we'll, we'll do it. Yeah, and that was okay, just to get us going and really set up things. Yep. Then the American Made Challenge uh, price yep. was incredible. Timing because it was in chunks, so we got the first round was thirty thousand dollars if I recall correctly, right. yep. and then the second round was sixty thousand dollars, and then the, f- the you know the final prize was two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and that was very timely. Did you? Is it true? You, you got know, a check your... for it? Uh, no, it was a. I mean, yeah, we got a big check right a there. A big check, like <laughs> an Ed McMahon style <laughs> check. Yes. Do you have it? Yeah. No I way. Do. Can we? Yeah. See do you want see
0: it? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I would love to see it. I remember you telling me that you had this check. This is amazing. Yeah, it's... <laughs> I'll hold it. I'm gonna hold this with James. Look, at... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you I... see this, Jeremy? Can you see this? Solar Grade two hundred thousand.
2: I have this, this great is... photo of, like, trying to remote deposit it on my phone.
0: <laughs> it, it wouldn't take it. Yeah? Did you try to scan it through the... <laughs> exactly. Just on the phone. Here, I'm, this is amazing. I would totally keep that forever. That's amazing. That, uh, so that process that is, you come back, that process of going through the American-Made Challenge, uh, which your uh, CEA buddy, Paul Wormser, had encouraged you all to take that step... Uh, gave you some dry powder, right? It gave you the capacity to do more than just what your savings could accomplish.
1: Yeah, definitely. And that's just, generate a snowball effect okay we have a little money a little bit of money we can do more work we can get the mvp to the next step that next step gets you to the first contract the first contract gets you to some revenue we got very lucky as well with prepaid revenue on our platform that really helps so prior to the solar prize you had you were pre revenue. Uh No, we had a little bit of revenue before the price. For, okay, for sure. We signed the first big contract right before the price. That was okay. one of the reasons why they gave us kind of okay. the final prize.
0: Oh, cool. Well, I was wondering, because the two of you had diverse but fo- utility-focused careers, it seemed, from the outside looking in, like you had the perfect network. Did it feel like you had the right people in the right places, from the beginning, or how did that start to take shape? Maybe talk a bit about the process of external advice. You mentioned Paul Grana, but did you feel like your network accelerated your ability to get to revenue, to get to product fit, those kinds of things?
1: Yeah, I I, I mean, we, I wouldn't have like enough time to thank everyone that has been, it's, it's been amazing, the community, everyone that you feel really that people are cheering Cheering up for you, yeah, and that has been great. I mean, we had a lot of people helping out, and a lot of you know um, colleagues from the industry, ex coworkers, and yeah. um, people that we know, just cheering cheering you up and saying, "Yeah, you can do it." Let me give you an intro. Let me, right. you know, introduce you to that person, the other person. And yeah. that has been literally everything. Like we couldn't, we could have not do it with without it.
0: Are there any anecdotes that come to mind of like, "Wow, I remember this moment where"? this person in our network either you asked for advice and it was the, exactly what you needed or somebody came unexpectedly from a past uh sort of a past life maybe cea or edf or otherwise that um that catalyzed or or maybe mobilized uh opportunity
1: yeah uh one that i remember uh kim miller uh he used to you know, work with C. us. Yeah, he yeah. Work with us at at CA as well. Kind of build a good relationship. Yep. I was at San Edison. And then he, yeah, he worked with me before at San Edison, and uh, he worked at Longi after that. Um, I remember sending up a, a call with him just as a, as friends, He's like, hey, what are you guys doing? What are you working on? And we were like, okay, we got, I think we got the MVP. Let me let, let, uh, let us give you a demo. Right. And we got on a call start giving him a, a demo and he completely like tells, okay, stop, stop <laughs> the demo. And he starts just going straight to the business. Like, yeah. how are you get? okay, this is, this is working. Like clearly this is going to work. Like right. he was very clear oh, that wow. the product was going to work. He's like, how, now have you thought about the business? Right. And I'm like, oh, we really haven't. Like <laughs> we're just building this cool thing. Yeah. And that, that was, uh, you know, super interesting. So he's been also super helpful yeah. along the process. That's amazing.
0: How big has the team grown in the last uh, year or so?
1: We are around 15 people wow. on um, contractors as well. Yeah. Outside of that. yeah, Yeah. So quite a lot. What's the most recent hire? We just hired a couple of people that started in January 1st, um, a VP of operations on an account, account executive, our first sales person. Sales. I'm so excited. Wow, David's div- division Someone, gets to grow. Yeah. <laughs> Tiffany Tapples is awesome. She comes f- from you know uh, the, the software world yeah, with a lot cool. of experience with SaaS companies. Um, but not from solar. Not from, from solar, no. no. Zero. Zero solar, but she's gonna learn everything about it. Do it. She's already been on
2: a project site. Yeah,
1: she's already been on a project site with us. That's so awesome. That's good. Just kind of. That's
2: amazing. Jumping in, she's great.
0: Yeah, yeah. You can do it. You can hire people that don't have solar experience. Oh, and that are not male or white. Um, I I, I digress. <laughs> um, kudos. Is there any um? Are are there any were there any hiring challenges or maybe hiring missteps that you made along the way that you'd like to just discuss?
1: I think so far we've been very lucky. We take our time to hire the right people and go through a process probably more stringent than others. And it's all a lot like culture is a big factor.
0: Yeah. So getting that right was was really critical. Is is there anything that you um, look back on and you think, wow, that was either unnecessary or we did that too early?
1: uh yeah a lot of things I mean it's just a never ending process. I think we did a, a lot of things that could have been done better from the sales perspective, not uh-huh. knowing and really undervaluing yourself initially like a some startup entrepreneur you want to get your product out there. people right. like it when it comes to the, the moment to you know negotiate pricing it's mm-hmm. like okay I'm not sure you're not confident you don't you don't have reference reference points for how much it's worth. So you're testing the waters. Like, okay, is this worth to you? And, you know, and we could have done much better from that perspective. Do
0: you feel like you started pricing too low?
1: Probably. And, yeah, not, not having the right pricing strategy. Not necessarily pricing too low. It's like not having the right pricing strategy. So yep. we've been kind of working a lot on updating that. Is there anything
0: that you've changed your mind about? So I think from a product perspective, we
2: started in one direction. Yeah. And made some shifts that make the product more interesting mm-hmm. so solar grade started as this field work management software where we're really trying to reduce labor costs significantly yeah and, t- and increase quality all this and you know that in itself is a is a great business model it there's a big need in the market but we we saw some changes and some challenges as we uh got out into the field and got and were we kind of trialing it out with different people. Yeah. And so one of those things was realizing that when we're when we're doing that automated reporting, when we're doing this and that, you're effectively creating a new class of data. Yeah. And so we were on a rooftop one day and I was like, David, we're basically creating an analog to digital converter. Of the field teams yeah. and extending the data acquisition system yeah. with them, hmm. and so you know you can really get that robust uh, picture of an asset health by pairing you know meter data with non-meter data, or that right. field work data yep. by playing with that, and so that's really where the the solar fax idea came in. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's, so that's been pretty interesting.
0: That's bit. fascinating. Do you remember when the idea that it was a solar fax came like that? Those words came into your. Yeah, Thinking. I think
2: our our buddy was like, oh, this is really cool. You're basically making the Carfax of solar. Oh, and right And we're on. like, oh, Solarfax. Okay, cool. Yeah, Play with I think, that.
0: Yeah. I think it's, you just got to tell enough people. Yeah. And then they'll tell you what your product is. Yeah. Right? That's a good way to put it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love that. We talk sometimes, and you mentioned Paul Grana and uh, Folsom Labs and Helioscope. We talk sometimes about, as entrepreneurs, we have... A million ideas, but you got to pick one. And oftentimes, I'll say, like, you know, pick one product, take it to a million dollars before you think about any of the other things. Right? You've created two brands, effectively two companies. You've created Helio Volta and Solar Grade, and Solar Grade is the product. Uh, it's the it's the business where you've been leading this. You know, most of what we've talked about today is the product of Solar Grade, and that's the concept that got you the the check from uh, the Solar Prize. But as Heliovolta to very bright, bright engineers um, that are not stuck on just creating one product. I'd love to hear, you mentioned EL earlier, like what corners are you seeing in the industry that you're looking around? Where else does your does the application of your knowledge extend beyond solar grade?
1: Yeah, for us, um, we go about about this back and forth uh, with the name picking for (laughs) solar grade. Yeah. Because in a way, from the beginning, we wanted to tackle the vertical of software for the solar industry. Uh But then we got a bunch of, you know, clients interested. It's like, hey, can can I use this for wind? And I'm like... Uh, sure you can. Like, yeah. this is, We need to create a few templates here, but uh, yeah, it works for wind and it will work for EV charting station yep. and it will work for- Building you houses. Know, yeah. But for, like, we're, we're kind of looking more of the expansion within the energy transition yep. uh, sources. Yep. So storage, solar plus storage, wind and EV charting station. Yeah. That's where kind of we feel that could open up uh, a big opportunity for us.
0: As we- Start to wrap up, I mean, the thing that you and the things that you and I most often talk about, which are not necessarily uh, the solar industry related. it's kind of how we feed our minds. I love to dig in. I want to learn a bit more about your personal development, your personal productivity. your off uh, when you're off time is how you reframe your mind, right? I talked to someone today that said that um, mindset was the key thing that she had learned in the business in the company where she was working right and I thought about how how that has a ripple effect into our private lives right um what I'm curious and there's so many for you that's why you don't get to go first what do you nerd out about that's not energy related so
2: I'm a really process-oriented person. Like, Atomic Habits was a, a great book for me. Yep. And so part of that was building in a meditation practice. Yeah. And so that's how I start the day. And then when we have meetings that end at 1 a.m., yeah, I need to meditate again to shut my mind
0: off. Yeah. How long do you meditate?
2: Um, usually just 15 minutes at a time. Yep. Usually just 15
0: minutes at a time. Do you use an app? I do. Yeah, Headspace. Headspace. Yeah. Wow. Still on the headspace. That's great. I'm I mean, a he's account, ta- yeah. <laughs> yeah. Creature of habit right there. Yeah. I, I started on headspace and, and recommended it to everyone the take 10, which is mm-hmm. free is an app ab- is in my opinion, the best introduction to meditation on the planet. There's a lot of great apps. I use inside timer, but, um, I've paid for like full year of, of headspace for friends who said, Oh, I can't okay. meditate. I'm like, that's cause you haven't learned proper way like i promise you try a headspace for a year and you will become a meditator yeah um that's cool is there anything about meditation that um how do you share meditation with others
2: Mm. yeah and so you know they have these kind of community meditations and Mm -hmm. i never really engaged with that no you know that that's it's personal yeah it's kind of a it's part of like emotional building that emotional intelligence of one of the things that I've really benefited from is noticing emotions rising mm. in me okay. and letting them and recognizing them yep. and letting them pass, yeah and so um, so I'm not quick to react to yeah. something that might be really jarring to mm. me,
0: yeah
2: um, and so effectively, that's how I share it with people yeah. is to uh, kind of have that um, that's cool more calm mindset David,
0: how about yourself?
1: You know me. I nerd out about way too many things. Um, I lately, you know, I've been. I think I introduced you, or at least I spoke with you a lot, you right introduced at the beginning. My first million. <laughs> yeah. my first million. But then um, we talk about AI a lot. Yes. Early on, mm-hmm. Dali. Yep. Um, you definitely and, introduced me to Dali. Um, uh,
0: you know, the Journey. Uh, I, you know, I played, but <laughs> remember, I... Wh- David was sending me photos. I remember, I'll never forget that you sent me, you sent me picture after picture after picture, and you're like, and you should do a picture for Solar Warriors. And you sent me like 20, and you sent me like retouched photos of you. And I was like, when did you do these? He's like, I was up until four in the morning.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I liked, when I neared out, I go down the rabbit hole pretty deep. Very deep, yeah. And I love that. Yeah. And I always... F- somehow find time for that stuff. Yeah. So it's no that gives you energy. Incredible. Yeah. That gives me energy. That feeds you, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's and then how do you how do you decompress? Uh exercise. hmm I have Does it have to, to be
0: strenuous? Uh, or just body moving?
1: It could be. Yeah, a little bit of everything. I have to do something every day. Yeah. So somehow I always find the time make very you know a few cases that yeah. i skipped that
0: yeah david is the only friend and i have a lot of friends that climb uh he's the only friend that that sends me pictures of him himself at the climbing gym and it, i know and it's and it's in camaraderie because we've committed to go climbing outdoors. we set up a goal yeah if, we did if you, if we did. You remember I remember it was goal. august of this past year i failed uh, miserably
1: you failed miserably but i sent you my photo of yes. the goal accomplished yeah. it was climbing a 12b in the gym um and I, you know, I send you the photo. Yep.
0: So I will get my. I I commit to getting to an 11A, and going, and which I've been told by the way, I don't need to get to 11A to go climb Red Rocks or Red,
1: no, red River Gorge. No, rocks. you don't need to.
0: But to keep up with him, I do. So to for him to find it interesting, so I've so I've started yeah. climbing outdoors as well. I'm going to try to figure out how we can chronicle this journey together. Of you like whipping me into shape to be a good climber,
1: <laughs> a good climber. do it.
0: I'm going to build a wall like this. this. Is impressive. You built this during the pandemic.
1: I had it already from my previous house. You did. I moved it. Oh, fantastic! (laughs) And I built an extension over the roof um, during the pandemic, and I painted it. Painted it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's beautiful. I love the sun on it, which we've got uh, a good angle on on that as well. (laughs) And you have you both have uh, young children, and how has building a company while also having toddlers uh, changed your life?
1: (laughs) That's crazy. Is I (laughs) always think about how much easier. Yeah. Would have been without mm-hmm. kids. Yeah. And why the didn't do this when I had the opportunity. Oh God. And yes. Are just, you listening? Mm-hmm. It's been literally, I mean, it's really hard. That's yeah. the hardest. Kind of juggling I gi- everything. I give
0: I give people diametrically opposed advice. Your twenties is the absolute best time to try everything you ever wanted to try. So exactly. fail. But also it is the best time to go work for a big company and get taught how companies work so that you don't fuck up as much as we did when you start your own companies. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. It's that's, it's really hard. You introduced me to a lot of books and podcasts. I won't let you go first. How do you feed your mind? It is a lot of books.
2: Um, you know, I thought about going to grad school, um, and you know, really learning how to do business and, like, build a business and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And a mentor of mine, Rick Brown, who started Terra Verde, you know... yeah. Yeah, really, he's on the the Holden board of directors with me. And, you know, I was talking to him, and he was like, you know, you can go to get an MBA, pay a bunch of money, and they'll tell you what you did wrong. Yeah. Or you can just go do it. And so part of reading a lot is kind of that fulfillment of a promise to myself yeah. of just, like, constantly engaging. Yeah. Continuous um, improvement. Continuous improvement, exactly. So um, a lot of those books are business-based. Okay. Um, a lot of it's AI. Um, and so that's something I nerd out about a lot. Yes. Yeah.
0: what um, is there anything in particular, having gone through the process of reading numerous books on AI, that stands out to you, like help somebody else jump to the front of the line?
2: Yeah. No, I think... Um, A really, a really good book for a way into it is
0: um, just the history of AI. It's called the history of AI. The history of AI. Yeah, yeah. Sounds Um, really riveting.
2: Yeah. I, no, exactly. I like, have an idea the... for you. Chat
0: GPT will summarize it. <laughs> That's real.
2: Yeah. So you would you would think so, but he actually takes it in a pretty good narrative form okay. that and in, in the in the preface of it, he was like, I was telling my PhD colleagues that yeah. I'm gonna do it. and everybody's making fun of it. <laughs> but uh it, it was actually a really good read. Um and uh, I learned a lot about it. Because um, similarly, like David and I are do not hardcore um i'm blanking on it no, but that's, he's we'll from it. yeah we'll from,
0: find it and put it in the show yeah uh he's he's from, from where oxford oxford okay yeah.
2: but yeah it's super super helpful uh intro into that space yep. um and just, yeah, kind of getting into it. Uh, yeah, and so we were talking about, David and I are not hardcore coders, mm, but yep. we understand the architecture and, like, what needs to go into it. Yep. And so I think it gives somebody interested in AI yeah. that framework of, like, you might not be the AI engineer or whatever, right, right. but you have
0: mm-hmm. the background and how it built up from Alan Turning to... Right. That's cool. Yeah. Is Are there any podcasts that are go-to podcasts for you? Obviously, Suncast. <laughs> Listen every day. <laughs> Obviously. Um, no,
2: I, I mean, I, I really like, um, everything that Canary Media, um, is, help, is putting yeah. out to Catalyst. Yeah. I read, I listen to that a lot. Fantastic. Um, and then I, I mean, I probably listen to the same stuff same that you stuff do because <laughs> V pushes it to me. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. And then, I mean, just like new stuff and
0: that. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's good. Okay. It's your turn. Books and podcasts.
1: I'm gonna be just the biggest one. Is a huge shout out to the How to Take Over the World. Oh, that's so good! You turned me on to that. One. I had never heard so of it. Yeah, good. producer Ben. <laughs> if you want to start, if you want to start with uh, an episode on that, listen to Thomas Edison's life. Yeah, so good, incredible. I just uh, listened to the Wright Brothers. Um, yeah, got me down the rabbit hole for the Wright. Yes, Wright I took Brothers. my kids
0: to 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 um... Dayton. No, not to Dayton. Uh, to the Outer Banks. So oh, to yeah, Kitty yeah, to, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. They have, yeah, Kitty Hawk, yeah.
0: The picture of my son flying a kite at the place where the Wright brothers Incredible, uh,
1: yeah, story, incredible. yeah, yeah. Story, so so, uh, yeah. So, ha- yeah.
0: It, that how to take over the world is a fantastic podcast done by the producer ben of wilson. uh ben wilson of our our other uh bromance podcast yeah my, my first, first million. million which is about business and kind of yeah. business ideas i think if if we could ever start a podcast that would emulate <laughs> another podcast it would be it my <laughs> first million my Style. first million for clean energy
1: yeah yeah if you'd
0: fine. like to if you'd like us to do that just leave it you know leave us a note on linkedin <laughs> uh
1: what else what else uh books. For fun, I read a lot of business books yeah. of the stuff that I want to learn about. Yeah. Um So uh, that not not super interesting. I mean, interesting but not interesting yeah. to share. I think the most interesting or fun book that I read that had nothing to do with business is American King Kingpin.
0: American Kingpin. Incredible. Uh-huh. Who's it about?
1: Uh, Albert uh Alcombright is the guy that set up uh the Silk the Silk Road that website that oh, you yeah, can yeah. buy anything. Uh-huh. Yep. Oh, so good! That book—I had. Brilliant. I mean, I finished it within a week. It was Brilliant. so just amazing. Yeah, really amazing. good story.
0: Mm. Do either of you have specific routines that are anchors for you, or even that you sort uh, sort of know so you know that it's so routine that you joke with one another about it? Like, but it's a core to who you are and how you operate.
1: I think for me, it's exercise. It's just I need that's exercise, yeah. I have to do something, yeah. and I have to fit it somewhere. So whether that's mm-hmm. early in the morning, late, like I don't have a schedule. Yeah, Like it's just Gotta whenever have... I see. Yeah. Did you exercise I see. today? Uh, today not yet because not we're, yet. Gonna, we're go gonna go rock climb climbing <laughs> and we are gonna skip it. I think we're gonna
2: skip it. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean the same thing. Yeah. Uh, I was mentioning habit stacking earlier, yeah. you know that's really yeah pretty big part of it, but mm-hmm. um. Yeah, exercising in the morning has been really helpful because mm. that's a time that I can kind of have agency yeah. over. Um and so waking up really early and getting out there and like even if it's just like a few miles yeah. um just doing a- running. Yeah. That's your that's your go
0: to. It's a really
2: good reset. And yeah. um yeah, it also helps me wake up a lot better and I'm on that train of like waiting an hour and a half before having caffeine um to more
0: naturally wake up. Yeah, same. Yeah. Um and yeah, I found that to be super, super helpful. Yep. The other podcast where I learned that I should be waiting 90 minutes was Andrew Huberman. Yeah. Huberman Lab. Oh my God, it's so good. Are, are you on the, have you been listening to Huberman Lab? I, no. I do. I don't, yeah. 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 Andrew Huberman, he's a neuroscientist from Stanford and he is brilliant. This podcast blew up in the last two years, just one of the biggest podcasts, but um, talks about the science of how chemical, the chemical uh, impact of of caffeine and alcohol, and lots of other things. And uh, one of the things that he says is that you should wait sixty at, mi- at minimum sixty, but to not, up to ninety minutes.
1: Reminds me to the Peter Atia book, uh, Yeah, Al-Diff, which I recently read. did. You read that? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's good. I read that one on lifespan.
0: From else, from oh, lifespan. David Sinclair. Yeah, the podcast is great. Really good. I'm yeah.
1: into a lot of like longevity and health. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I've heard uh, very good things about Peter Atia's book. He's really good. Actually,
1: you understand why he's kind of angry as a person. (laughs) Yeah. I never, you know, everyone likes Andrew Huberman and not so much Peter Yeah. Once you kind of understand his story. Yeah. It's pretty deep.
0: Yeah. Mm. Well, we've gotten a chance to go deeper into you guys' story. And if I I know that there's more than one out there who will want to reach out, what's the best way for them to connect with you guys?
1: Via email, uh, david at com. Such an engineer.
2: Yeah, same. Or LinkedIn works too. Yeah. James at Heliovolta, But yeah, yeah LinkedIn, we're, we're pretty active there. Yeah.
0: It's so funny. All the engineers share their emails. Everybody else shares their, they just say on LinkedIn and we link to it. Read it. It's great though. I love it's it. Pretty, it.
2: I mean, pretty easy to guess. Ours, yeah. So. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah. Um, fantastic. Well, we will certainly link to uh, ways that folks can engage with you all and uh, the myriad of resources that you've shared here. A- as we wrap though, if you think about you know we've been in this industry now for uh David, David and I um nearly 20 years you like right at 20 years we're starting to see the first fruits we're starting to see sort of folks saying oh we can achieve something that looks like an 80 or 100% renewable grid or a decarbonized grid by 2030 2040 in fact we have commitments now after cop28 to 2050 let's just look at the what i consider worst case scenario is that we meet the cop goal 2050 what are what are a couple of the things that we got right to achieve that goal
2: i think currently a lot of the the teams that are actually building these systems are super undervalued yeah and so i think in 2050 we're looking back we're saying we were really able to unlock those teams yeah to build projects better faster okay um so we can actually deploy solutions much much faster um and then when you do that more effectively and gather a lot of data, then you can figure out your mistakes a lot faster. Machine learning, once you've structured the data, you can figure out why did this happen? Where's that underperformance coming from in a way that we couldn't before?
0: Yeah, by 2050, robots will be building them.
2: I don't know. I, yeah, so I have a lot of thoughts about that. Yeah,
0: okay. <laughs> <laughs>
2: so, um, nerding out about AI, some of the things that AI can't replace are complex decision making in a, in like a very context specific environment Yeah. and fine motor skills. So you're always going to need a plumber. You're always going to need an electrician. And so, um, you know, the fine motor skills there is, is, is obvious, but the complex decision-making of having that field tech on site that can really dial in and think about what is the actual problem here? How do I diagnose this? Cause I, AI will always struggle with input overload, right? Like how does it dial in to like really focus on this specific thing? So, um, that's why, you know, field teams,
0: like really, pre, uh, valuing what they bring, of uh, unlockable. You just line. gave me a new question. What's the most undervalued asset in in your business or the industry today? That's cool. Field teams. David?
1: what is uh, what was the question?
0: I such a such a sales guy. <laughs> <laughs> Looking back on twenty fifty, how did we get how did we get it right? What did we get right? And what were the most undervalued assets that helped us get there?
1: Um, how do we get it right? I think we will look back and we will know we got it right because we are executing on it. And, and I think uh, pulling the trigger on moving forward on renewables is a no-brainer. It's just, it just makes sense. A lot of things have to happen, as, as Jim just pointed out, but um, you know, I, I think it's a mix of... It's, it's difficult to kind of pick a specific one, Yeah, but... I put you on the spot.
0: It's yeah, okay. We uh, can we can just go with James's answer.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to I don't know what to say what to add to that. Um it's it's perfectly okay. You've chosen a great partner. Yeah. What was the second part to the question?
0: If there are any uh particularly undervalued assets in the industry that you have discovered in this process.
1: I mean for us is is um Again, not repeating James, but for us, it's kind of data and field data so It's a new layer of data that we haven't been used using that has a lot of the answers to some of the problems that we're seeing. I hope that
0: we can repurpose some of the laughter at the end of the interview to the beginning,
1: so that, <laughs> so that
0: people, so that people will watch all the way all the way through. If you've watched all the way through, through, thank you so much. David Peñalva and James Nagel are the co-founders of Helio Volta and the creators of. Solar grade, and I am so looking forward to seeing how you guys continue to build this business.
1: Thank you, Aniko. Thanks so much.
0: So, if you have made it this far, I want to thank you as well for paying attention to what I consider to be a deep interview with guys who have, in fact, been on the front lines of the clean energy transition and are creating tools to help accelerate that energy transition. As David and James just enunciated, there are material ways that we can improve the processes and the grade of product that we are putting out into the world. I hope that you've listened this far because you are trying to up-level your own skills, your own business, your career. You're in the right place. In Suncast, we've done more than 650 such episodes with leaders like James and David on the front lines of the Clean Energy Transition. You can find all of them in my Suncast Dot com or right in the back catalog in the podcast player or here on YouTube where you are watching if you have any questions ideas people that you think we should be interviewing please put them in the comments or reach out to me on LinkedIn of course or Nico at mysuncast.com I do love to answer those or Fill out our customer survey. Leave us all the information that you would like to see for how we can make this show better for you. I promise we do. Listen, David is an example of someone who has reached out and said, Nico, you should stop doing this, you should start doing that. You are recipients of the first fruits of that as we are evolving this show and trying to be more entertaining, trying to be video forward. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you to our sponsors who help make this show possible each and every week. So the only thing you have to pay is your time and attention. It is so valuable to us. I want to thank those sponsors for helping support this show. You can find out more about them at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. That's also how you can learn ways to partner with us to reach thousands of Solar Warriors and Clean tech Champions twice a week, just like they do. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle. So the